Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here for another episode of the Prospect Podcast. Exactly one week away from the 2021 NFL Draft. I had to get in one calendar introduction into this podcast. I'm not a huge fan of those in my writing or listening to it because anyone listening or reading Anything about the draft knows how far away it is, but I had to get one in just for fun. And there it is. I'm going to finish up the top five position ranking series tonight. I actually have three positions left and they're marquee positions, wide receiver. And for the fantasy people out there, running back, certainly still a marquee position. And of course, quarterback, because I want to have for the two episodes next week, just it open. If there's any trade, if there is, which I guess there probably won't be a trade before the draft uh, that's not like on the clock. But if there's any big news that comes out, if if we do get to see more of a crystallization of what's going to happen in the top five or top 10, I want to be able to talk about that. And then maybe I don't want to set myself to this, but maybe I will do my, I will like read out my final mock draft that will go on CBS sports.com Wednesday for Thursday's episode. So like the one, not that I care about the accuracy of my mock draft, although I, I do try to get as many picks correct as possible. But if I don't, I'm fine with that. I don't think that's what being a draft analyst is all about. But I could do that for Thursday's episode on the morning of the NFL draft. That is really such a fun, energy-filled day that I use that adrenaline to stay up super late and tweet and write about what just happened in the first round. Hopefully it does not get over crazy late. Last year was pretty good. Two years ago, I remember it was like one or two in the morning. It was crazy when I got done because the first round lasted forever. Last year, if I remember correctly, with a lot of the virtual element or all virtual, it's pretty quick. So we obviously won't have that fully virtual this year, but I'm getting too in too far into my schedule for the NFL draft. I And if I do have to stay up late, I'm completely fine with that because that is the first round of the draft is one of the best days of the year. 
So I'm going to do wide receivers first. Start with my top five. It's not crazy in terms of being different from the consensus, but here we go. Actually, let me get this sorted correctly. Number five for me, actually, this is after recalculating some of the sizes for these players and just making sure that the sizes were correct. Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. Wideout who does everything well, was pressed in college and beat it often with a variety of moves and handwork. Good size and will separate at a nice rate for a pass catcher above six foot. And he actually measured in like just over six foot. More than holds his own in jump ball situations and has above average yak capabilities, mostly thanks to great power through tackles and deceptive wiggle. Good, not great speed, but his contested catch skill makes him a threat on the vertical route tree. Not a specialist, a well-rounded, refined talent. I have Rashad Bateman, final grade for him. I'd been talking about how I was going to change these up, make a few tweaks after my top 200 came out last week. These are finalized. Rashad Bateman at number 18 overall. Is that correct? Actually, it's not correct. Hold on. I need to resort this. Rashad Bateman at number 22 overall. So first round wide receiver, team that picks him. If he goes a little bit earlier than 22, I'm completely fine with it. A little bit later, still won't call it a massive steal. But if he slips into round two, and it seems like he might, Definitely a lot of value with Rashad Bateman. He is a very good wide receiver. I, I like the fact that he produced early in his college career as well. Number four, Rondell Moore. And this is notwithstanding injuries because I'm not going to factor in injury history. I don't know anything about his medical background besides just that he did have some injuries. Here's a scouting report. Twitchiest wide receiver prospect in the class. If you blink, he'll change directions on you and be out of your line of sight. That type of explosion and agility. Plus vision, too. A little quicker than fast, but has serious downfield jets too. Contact balance is good for a smaller wide receiver, probably because his height to weight combo is pretty good. Not slight of frame, just short. Will separate immediately and has the feet and hands to beat press at the line. Although his lack of length could cause some issues in the NFL. Tiny catch radius and obviously isn't going to be the rebounder type, but Moore's hands aren't a major issue. A top 20 talent with two years of injury history. I usually don't write anything about injury history in my scouting reports because it is a scouting report of how the player plays. But I thought it was that's such a thing that's in the forefront with Rondé Moore. I could not totally omit his injury history. But I didn't factor that into his grade. Rondé Moore, the electric wide receiver from Purdue, I have at number 19 overall, a few spots ahead of Rashad Bateman. I, I believe I had Rashad Bateman a little ahead of Rondell Moore before I, I know that I did, but I had Rashad Bateman's height based on, or his size based on his height and his weight that he was listed at, at Minnesota. I hadn't put in his pro day size yet. He did run a little bit faster than expected, but I think that was partially due to losing a little weight. It was like around six foot one ninety um, at his pro day. That probably helped him run a little bit faster uh, than, People expected he was listed at like six two or six three at Minnesota. Six three six foot and three eighth inches, hundred and ninety pounds, thirty-three inch arms, nine and a half inch hands. So he's got reasonable size to play on the outside. He can play inside outside. That's Rashad Bateman. Rondell Moore is most likely just a slot, although he did win on the perimeter at Purdue. To me, a top twenty talent in this draft class, number nineteen overall. 
my third wide receiver. You're not going to be surprised at these top three, but maybe the order. My number three wide receiver is Devontae Smith, who recently is like plummeting or people are just thinking that he's going to go outside the top 10. Being 166 pounds at the, whether we're calling it the combine recheck, but they a lot of prospects went to Indianapolis to get a medical recheck, weighed more or less than they did at their pro days. And Smith was 170 at the Alabama pro day and then was 166 at this recheck. Six foot 166 is pretty low BMI, under 24. And you want to be 25, 26-ish to be somewhat reasonable. But here's my scouting report on Devontae Smith. I still think he is a very, very good prospect. Incredibly smooth and efficient wideout who looks effortless in everything he does on the field, glides everywhere, and is deceptively fast on the field after the catch. Good suddenness to create separation. He doesn't need to slow down much to change directions, but best moving off the vertical route tree. On that, he doesn't throttle down whatsoever and will extend his separation on a routine basis. Very spindly frame that didn't hurt him much in college, but could be an issue in the NFL against super physical corners, especially those with length. Huge catch radius, and he tracks it phenomenally. Will routinely make the circus grab and get his feet inbounds near the sideline. Smith runs away from people after the catch and has good vision. A north-south runner with some jagged cutting skills, but not a jump cut guy. Saw plenty of screens, but did a lot with those opportunities. Complete wide receiver. I watched him relatively early, so there was no noise of uh, him plummeting or where I believe he should go. Uh, It was very early on in the pre-draft process. Devontae Smith, my number seven overall player in this draft class, slightly hundredths of a point behind Kyle Pitts. So he's an elite prospect, slightly concerned about his frame. That's pretty much it. He's a very good wide receiver. Number two. In the wide receiver rankings for me, Jamar Chase from LSU. Here's a scouting report. Somewhat compact, power-based wide receiver with good, but not great wiggle to get open. Leans on his physicality to combat combat press at the line and will legitimately bench press or quickly swipe away press attempts. I would like to see some more clean wins with his feet. He has uncanny ability to sustain his speed while being contacted within the first five yards and Chase has an extra gear down the field, although he's not a true burner. Smart in scramble drill will create big plays for his quarterback because he finds voids in those situations. Bouncy, contact balance monster after the catch. Vision and cutting skills are running back-like. Borderline dominant in contested catch situations and will typically come down with the ball in tight quarters underneath. Not completely sure if he'll be a routine separator, in the NFL, and there are some concerns about his top end speed, but the rest of Chase's game is elite. Anyone that is higher on Chase than I am, and I'm very high on him, will say, hey, he ran really fast at the LSU Pro Day. On mock draftable, it says 434. I remember being 438. I don't think he's truly that fast. I think that was a little bit of a quick trigger from some of the scouts or whatever. He looks like a low to mid 4-4 guy, which is still very fast, but I don't think he's like the same speed as Terry McLaurin. I just don't. He doesn't play to that speed down the field. I think he's deceptively fast because you're seeing him in 2019 do so much underneath, and after the catch, you think, there's no way this guy's fast, too. Then he runs by Trevon Diggs. He runs by A.J. Terrell. 
down the field. So I think Chase is just another complete wide receiver. I have him one spot, two spots ahead of Devontae Smith, number five overall player. That, of course, I need to mention quickly, factoring in position addition, I have receiver as the third most valuable position, or I guess fourth behind quarterback, offensive tackle, and edge rusher. And offensive tackle and edge rusher are slightly given a bigger position addition just because of the scarcity compared to wide receivers. And the teams are rolling out three and four wideouts, and you have two offensive tackles. You've got to hit on those players. But that's why I have part of the reason why I have so many wide receivers higher because I think it is a very, very valuable position. And at number one, my wide receiver one in this class, Jalen Waddell from Alabama. Here's the scouting report. Supercharged, hyper twitchy wideout with amazing downfield speed. Separates with ease because of unfathomably twitchy movements in his routes. Waddell's change of direction skills look like an edited video. He has an extra gear unlike any prospect in the entire class. Despite being shorter, but well, but while built, he plays above the rim because of good leaping ability and a serious my ball mentality. Only reasonable knocks on his game are the fact that he played out of the slot frequently and doesn't have loads of production or experience. Waddle has plenty of wiggle to beat press at the line, just haven't seen him do it very often. Instant impact, all pro talent. That has been my go-to phrase when I've had to talk about the disparity or show the disparity between Waddle Smith and uh, Chase. He just moves different. He is a different mover running his routes after the catch down the field. Waddle, Chase, and Smith are all phenomenal in contested catch situations, which is crazy because none of them are even six foot two waddle plays like he's about six foot three down the field there are a litany of amazing grabs from him just tracking the football over his shoulder or leaping and like jumping over two missouri safeties like freak show kind of stuff and i think playing at alabama he's kind of like the opposite of mac jones or tua like those two quarterbacks were elevated because of all the position talent or skill position talent around them. I think Jalen Waddle actually has his best football in front of him because he was playing with three other first round wide receivers and was just never really the guy. I, I, I can't tell you exactly the reason for that, but even in his freshman season, he was like making big plays and you could tell like he was special. Even when Jerry Judy won the Bolitnikoff, Jalen Waddle was making a lot of big plays in the return game. I love receivers that have return game ability. Waddle definitely does. He's the best wide receiver in this draft class. And my number four overall prospect just behind the quarterbacks for a little sneak peek there. So that's the wide receiver position Uh, to get into a few others, just because this is such a premier position. Uh, Elijah Moore, I have a 29 overall. I really, really like his game. I compared him to a, Rocket-fueled Jamison Crowder, very reliable slot who can also stretch the defense deep. I have Terrence Marshall at 31 from LSU, big speedster, reminds me a lot of DJ Chark, another LSU alum, 33, Kadarius Toney from Florida. 
that almost even to me seems a little high, but that's what my grading system spit it out. I, I'm a little worried about his dancing uh, and how he um, doesn't really take what's there very often. He tries to make do too much, but the athleticism is through the roof and he tested phenomenally and was a little bigger than people thought. So he'd be number, let's see, six, seven, eight. Uh, Josh Palmer, I have at number 40 from Tennessee. I really like his game. Very, very, very underrated wide receiver. Dwayne Eskridge at 54 from Western Michigan. Daz Newsom, my guy at 63. Cornell Powell, 64. I really like this wide receiver class at the top. And then certainly through rounds two through maybe round four in this draft. class, maybe even a little later than that. Jumping over to the running backs. I'll start at number five, Michael Carter from North Carolina. Smaller framed, bouncy, high energy back with outstanding vision and deceptive contact balance. Good out of the backfield as a receiver too. Not quite as flashy as his teammate Javante Williams and doesn't pack that type of power through contact, but very efficient in everything he does with the football in his hands. Surprising speed to the corner and downfield, but won't be a home run hitter in the NFL. Routinely pieces together multiple cuts in a run to knife through tight quarters between the tackles. I really like Michael Carter. I think he's a little bit of a smaller framed running back that could maybe hurt his shelf life in the NFL. I have him at 133 overall. And remember, running backs get no position addition, so I'm always going to have them graded a little bit lower than the masses. That's like late fourth. I think that actually seems about right for him where he ultimately will go. Maybe we'll see Michael Carter in the third. I would pick him in the fourth round. I think he's a good player, and he fits the modern-day NFL, the bounce, the receiving ability. Number four at the running back spot, Trey Sermon from Oklahoma. Flying way, way, way under the radar. Big, bendy running back. Nearly impossible to find a run in which he's not carrying a defender or falling forward for considerable extra yardage after contact. Not a jump-cut guy, but has enough bounce to make a backside defender miss in space on a cutback. Pretty good second-level juice for a power back, and has and his agility is deceptive. Can break off runs with multiple smaller but efficient cuts. At top speed, in a hurry, and like a pass rusher, he converts that speed to power. Sermon has serious contact balance, the type you want in your running back room. It's kind of a throwback. Like, he is a bigger, bulkier back. Uh, so you think he's just going to try to power through everyone, but Sermon doesn't necessarily do that. I, I really think he is flexible at nearly 6'1 and 215 pounds. Ran 4'6'1, not really concerned about that. I like the vertical, 37 inches, and the broad jump, 125. That's in the 88th percentile among running backs. And then the three cone, 6.84, 85th percentile. Yes, it was at the Oklahoma Pro Day. Yes, those numbers, especially the time numbers, could be a little bit off. But Trey Sermon, I think, is a very talented runner. We saw it, uh, and I have Oklahoma. He's not from Oklahoma. He went to Ohio State to finish his career. But at Oklahoma, we saw that. And then at Ohio State in 2020, he he was just a very productive running back, I think. I'm not going to say he's Joe Mixon because Joe Mixon was one of my favorite running back prospects ever in terms of how amazing he was in all, like just checking all the boxes. But he's that type, big Pretty bendy, deceptive wiggle, pretty good speed, going to run through a lot of tackles and make occasionally a defender miss. Trey Sermon, I have graded. I'm really glad that I found that I had written Oklahoma in there. Uh, number 97 overall. So that would be like late third. I think that makes the most sense for Trey Sermon. Coming off that, I believe, separated shoulder, that one of the first plays 
uh, in the college football playoff or in the national title game against Alabama. It was a bummer that we didn't get to see him there. Trey Sermon's a good back. I think he's going to be technically a feature back, although that's kind of going by the wayside in the NFL, but someone that can be near the top of a running back committee once Trey Sermon's in the NFL. Number three, Javante Williams from North Carolina. Unique running back prospect who blends all styles into one. He's a complete player. Shows the ability to be a north-south slasher, then will break off a run with multiple cuts. Elite contact balance and deceptive power through contact. Williams will be a nightmare to bring to the turf at the NFL level. Good vision, but isn't overly reliant on hitting the cutback lane. He'll take it frontside on zone plays to maximize yardage and minimize the chance of losing yardage. Good hands, not a special receiver, but has good and has good, but not great long speed. There's a lot of people that like Javante Williams, like as running back two or some even running back one. I could see that because his highlight reel runs are phenomenal. Like there are a couple of runs. Check him against Miami. Oh my God. He was unbelievable in that game. There were a few games where he was like impossible to be tackled. I have him at number 65 overall late second. I think that would be perfect for him. He's probably going to go a little bit earlier than that. Very, very talented in terms of everything that you want from a running back in today's NFL or just really ever. He's contact balance, elusiveness, vision, very, very good running back prospect. Number two, Travis Etienne from Clemson. Here's a scouting report. North-South slasher with a little wiggle and serious, almost unprecedented ability as a receiver. Ultra dangerous in the screen game because of his game-breaking speed, which translates to easy runs through weaker tackle attempts. Vision is solid, but not a true strength. Strong, powerful leg churn at the end of a play to get extra yardage can be flexed out as a slot receiver and will win, then turn an angle route into a huge gain. Think Alvin Kamara. I usually don't put a lot of pro comparisons in my scouting reports, but that one has just been glaring to me for so long. My number one running back, and you can probably guess who it is, I think is actually a better slot conversion than Travis Etienne. But what Etienne can do as a receiver with his soft hands and then just uh, on a swing pass, on a check down, uh, on a route where he does a play where he doesn't even need to run an intricate route, he can turn that into an 80-yard touchdown. I really think he's that fast. We saw that at the Clemson Pro Day. He proved that he is one of the fastest running back prospects that we've seen in a while, especially top tier running back prospects. I mean, at 5'10", 215, and that is a thick back. He ran 4'4", 5. Vertical wasn't great. The broad jump was 128 inches in the 94th percentile. He's explosive. If the team that drafts him is going to be drafting him for a, to get a, a pretty talented running back, I think actually Javante Williams is better just as a traditional runner, like between the tackles, vision, sinking his hips, bouncing backside, jump cutting, all that kind of stuff. ETN gives you way more juice. So teams might be saying, hey, we're not going to run it very often, but if we can get a back who can score some long touchdowns for us or turn a 20-yard gain into a 50-yard gain, that's what we want in our running game. Then there's Travis ETN. I have Travis ETN probably graded a little lower than most people. Again, position addition, do not forget that. I have him graded at 59 overall. So mid to late second round to me, factoring in positional value. That's where Travis Etienne makes the most sense. And number one, my number one back, I've had this for a while. I watched them relatively early. I usually watch like the big name prospects very early on in the process. So I'm not 
So there's no chance that I'm getting swayed by stocks going up and down or anything. Once people catch up, it's all top 50 to 100 guys are the, the top expected players. And I watch them as early as possible. So I watched them early and I had Najee Harris there for months now. Here's a scouting report on the Alabama running back. Freak of freaks. He's a tall runner with a thick and chiseled frame. Insane, almost unbelievable cutting skills at his size. And his vision between the tackles is tremendous. Super explosive for his size. Serious ball tracking capabilities down the field and has run a variety of routes out of the slot. He could legitimately transition to being a pass-catching H-back in the NFL and thrive. But obviously that's not a suggestion of where he needs to play. Tacklers fall off his big frame and he has... The full move arsenal, including a ridiculous hurdle. Long speed is lower level once he hits the open field. Feature back from day one, think Le'Veon Bell. Went with Alvin Kamara. I remember watching ETN first, then I watched Harris, so I went with my NFL comparison at the end of his scouting report. I mean, what more can I say? I, I really, I think he's on par with Jonathan Taylor last year. Jonathan Taylor obviously coming from Wisconsin, a lot more eye formation, a lot of classic looks. But big, crazy movement ability. Jonathan Taylor gave you more home run hitting ability. But in terms of where I had them graded, I had Jonathan Taylor early in the second round, and that's high for me at the running back spot. I have Najee Harris at number 41 overall. I think I had someone could check this, uh, or I guess I could check it. I had uh, Jonathan Taylor, I believe, at like 37 overall last year. Let's take a quick look. Jonathan Taylor at JJ Taylor, Alex Taylor. Where did I have him? 36 overall. So I, I view them similarly in terms of where they stack up to their rest of their class. Najee Harris, pick him. You're getting truly a multi-dimensional talent for your offense. Now to the quarterbacks. And this, every radio spot I've done, I haven't done as many because I had a lot of film to kind of catch up on. I was slightly behind this draft season, but I've started to do them and, and I'll do a lot more during draft week. Everyone's asking me about quarterbacks because no one knows who's going to go where, but here I will tell you how I view these quarterback prospects. Number five overall, the quarterback spot, Mac Jones from Alabama. Here's my scouting report on him. Tell me if I'm crazy. Crisp delivery, but NFL average at best arm, similar to Kyle Trask's. From a perfectly clean pocket, he can let it rip downfield or get good spin on the ball at the intermediate level. But if anything is slightly off with his feet, the lack of a powerful arm is very apparent. Jones can move slightly, but won't be an improvisational type. Overall accuracy is very good. He hasn't needed to get off his first read often at Alabama. Embarrassment of riches at the skill positions and a sturdy offensive line in front of him. Occasionally gets too risky downfield or is a tick late when he does move to his second or third read. Has been well coached about stepping up into the pocket, but not a master moving inside of it. When pressure mounts, he can look very awkward trying to create with his legs. Operates Alabama's high-low offense very well. Hit on an assortment of deep shots in his college career. I know we did, uh, just reading that, I know that Matt and I went through this the quarterback conversation series early on, but I'm just kind of rehashing it, bringing it up again a week away from the draft. That's one of like, of all the scouting reports, I feel like of the quarterbacks, like that's the one I feel the most confident about. We saw it for a season and a half at a uh, premier program 
And just everything about him seems obvious. I don't think he is Drew Brees with his accuracy, although he is very accurate. I don't think he's a Tom Brady-esque processor. Um, and just the lack of athleticism, I think, is a concern in today's NFL. I did say, though, I remember in the quarterback conversation series, like, is there a room for a pocket passer to win in today's NFL to be maybe even the start of a new trend or maybe just an outlier? Yeah, there probably is. But I think if Mac Jones goes at number three to the 49ers, yes, that would help being with Kyle Shanahan. You know, he, he gets great efficiency out of any quarterback. But if he lands on a team that, like, needs him to be the savior, that's just not who Mac Jones is. I have him graded at number 39 overall. So, in theory, picking him in early round two, where we've seen guys like Andy Dalton and Colin Kaepernick go, and a lot of other quarterbacks who've had good careers, I think that would actually make more sense. But it's crazy how even, and those two quarterbacks being in the 2011 draft class, uh, how it's changed in 10 years. That if you like a quarterback, you don't wait to pick him. So obviously Mac Jones is going to go way earlier. Just looking up any other round two quarterbacks. Derek Carr went in round two, obviously. Um if you want to throw Drew Locke into there. That's where I that's just kind of how I feel about Mac Jones' overall skill set. Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously, round two as well in the same draft class as Derek Carr 2014. When I saw that, when I checked my big board and see what the grading system spit out, I was like, that feels right. Early round two. He's gonna go in the top ten at the absolute latest, fifteen to the Patriots. But Mac Jones, my number five quarterback, number 39 overall. Number four, Trey Lance, North Dakota State. Well-built but not gigantic quarterback with high-level athletic traits and a rocket launcher attached to the right side of his body. Jump cuts like a running back and has deceptive power to run through tackle attempts. He's decently fast, too. Needs to be used in the design run game in the pros. He's too talented not to do so. The live arm is a luxury. He can fit it. He can fit it into small windows. Most quarterbacks can't, even if he's a tick late or doesn't properly read a defender's leverage. Lance flashed the ability to move to a second read, but does have a tendency to stare down the first look. Some wayward misses typical with big arm quarterbacks. Not a major concern, but needs to be addressed once he's in the NFL, and it's likely due to his footwork. Overall ball placement needs some fine-tuning. His pocket management is lacking, but doesn't see ghosts on a regular basis and has a good improvisational feel for the game. Lance's arm talent is borderline special. His feet don't need to be perfect for him to deliver it with velocity. Great downfield touch. He's decently raw, but absolutely has all pro upside. My comparison for Trey Lance is Josh Allen. Like As prospects, they are very, very similar. Obviously, Josh Allen was a little bigger and could, I guess, provide more power in the run game and has done that in the NFL. But the rawness, the lesser competition, the gigantic arm, the willingness and desire to make those big plays outside the pocket, the occasional miss that's kind of ugly, the crazy throws where you're like, no other quarterback can do that at the college level. All of that stuff reminded me so much of Josh Allen. I had Josh Allen as my quarterback six in that famous draft class of 2018 in like the second round. I learned from that. And, and that was 2018, actually 2017. I, I call it my Patrick Mahomes line. The Patrick Mahomes pick and how 
he got the red shirt and then how he erupted in 2018 signaled was the start of this quarterback trend of being athletic, allowing your quarterback to improvise and being okay with a few throws across his body. If he's going to give you spectacular outside of structure plays with his legs and certainly with his arm. That's why Josh Allen, I think part of the reason why he's excelled in today's NFL, you need to be a big time athlete at the quarterback spot. And Trey Lance absolutely is. I have Trey Lance graded. And I just completely finalized these last night. So that's why I'm checking where I have these because I had to move around some size uh, grades from earlier. Trey Lance, number nine overall. So top 10 talent to me. Yes, that's factoring in positional value, but he plays quarterback and it's very, very important. Number three overall, Justin Fields. I know that's not in vogue now. I tweeted out like last week that it like, how the roller coaster of who quarterback two is has been this crazy ride since the end of the college football season, right after Ohio state lost to Alabama. It was, Oh man, I don't think Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence are, are that far apart. And then everyone started to watch Zach Wilson. And then Zach Wilson became quarterback two. Mac Jones became quarterback three, Justin Fields. Eh. And then everyone kind of countering all of the negativity about Justin Fields. That was in my opinion, unwarranted, then pushed Justin Fields back up. Uh, not where he'll ultimately go, but a lot of people feel like Justin Fields is actually the better quarterback in this draft class. Graded quarterbacks, again, very, very, very early. Uh, and I remember being surprised that I had Zach Wilson in front of Justin Fields. Uh, but here's what I wrote about the Ohio State quarterback, who I like a lot. Classic textbook delivery, but not exactly quick. Very live arm that can drive the ball on any throw. Natural, sudden athlete who will be useful in the design run game and can create from inside the pocket and outside as a scrambler with pressure mounting. Accuracy is high end to all levels of the field. Fields is very comfortable and impressive throwing on the run. In rare occasion, he tries to do too much when improvising, but typically knows when to throw it away. More of a scrambler out of structure than a throw on the run creator can create amazing escapes from pressure. He sees plenty of wide open wide receivers at Ohio state on his first read and is rarely pressured. Would like to see more instances when he gets through his progressions, but simply hasn't needed to in college. And I completely understand that it's been out there that he actually had the highest percentage of getting through or past that first read. But I just saw a lot of stare downs at Ohio state. And I don't even think that that, Northwestern game or the Indiana game were crazy red flags. I think if I talked about it during the quarterback conversation series with Matt, that a few of the interceptions looked like miscommunications more than inaccurate throws. I just think that at times, not that he can't get through his reads, but that he'll stare down that first read and then he might get to a second read, but then he in his head clicks and says, Hey, I can run for this first down. And while I think that's fine. And especially what I just spoke to, you know, it's important to, have that improvisation ability as a, a runner and as a high caliber athlete in today's NFL, you would like to see more uh, instances where it's, Hey, my first read's not there. Here comes pressure up. Oh, there's a read to throw it. And so I think Justin Fields, and that's really the biggest difference. And it's not that big of a difference in general between Fields and Wilson is that Wilson under pressure still thinks more so like a passer when fields knows that he runs a four, four 
and that he wants to just run the football after things get a little muddy down the field or inside the pocket. Uh, and I have Justin Fields, unsurprisingly, at number three overall on my big board. Valuable position, elite quarterback prospect in other drafts. He would be the number one prospect and would go number one overall. Zach Wilson from BYU graded just ahead, three hundredths of a point ahead of Justin Fields. Here is my scouting report on Zach Wilson. Quickest release in the class, lightning quick. Ball jumps out of his hands. Above average arm strength and athleticism. He doesn't wow consistently in either area, but better than your typical starter in each. Can make a defender or two miss in, in space as a runner. Wilson's a natural athlete who can and will throw from any platform. Shows the ability to move through progressions, but not fully polished in that area yet. Seems to process somewhat quickly. Accuracy is great, especially deep. At times can get a little antsy in the pocket and leaves early, but despite his playmaking prowess, he's mostly patient when he's kept clean. At times, his big play mentality can lead to some difficult tight window throws that do get knocked away. Many times, he fits them in. So the part in there where I said, or where I wrote that he can move through his progressions, but not fully polish in that area. That's the same thing I feel with Justin Fields, that there's these are not one read and then go running uh, quarterbacks. They're not. But do I think that they are crazy processors at this point? Not necessarily. Is that something that you need to be in today's NFL that has gotten to be very wide open and very well schemed? No, I, I think... 10, 15, 20 years ago, it was stay in the pocket, look to your right, look to the middle, look to the left side of the field. If nothing's there, throw it away. That's all we want from you. And a lot of good quarterbacks did that. Tom Brady's still doing that. Today's NFL, if you don't like your first read, maybe check to your second, then get out and run or, or get outside the pocket and see what you can create. And that's the difference. I think Fields likes to run outside the pocket. Wilson certainly can run, not the athlete of Justin Fields caliber, but wants to still make plays with his arm. And then number one overall, oh, and I obviously have Zach Wilson at number two overall. At number one at the quarterback spot, my number one overall player fitting that I'm ending with him, Trevor Lawrence from Clemson. Complete package at the quarterback spot. Tall with high-level athletic traits and naturally climbs and drifts in the pocket. Huge arm, can make any throw from any platform. His accuracy is top-notch. If he misses, the miss is typically high. Vision, twitch, and speed are all good enough for him to be used in the design run game. Good creativity outside the pocket as a runner or when he's throwing on the run. Anticipatory thrower when he needs to be can get through his progressions too. At times, he will hold it a little long and lock onto his first read, but will stand in and take a hit while throwing. Super tough. Could learn to slide as a runner a little more frequently. Loves to push it vertically and will fit it through tight windows. Decently quick release to work the quick game too. Franchise-altering quarterback prospect. So, not everything's perfect about Trevor Lawrence, but he is the closest thing that we've seen to a quarterback prospect. Certainly that I have graded. I wrote earlier, a couple weeks ago, that I think he's the best quarterback prospect in the last 40 years. No off-field concerns, no maturity issues. Was producing at a very young age as a freshman at Clemson. Only 21 years old, turns 22 in his rookie season. Uh, I think he's very close to Andrew Luck, but Andrew Luck was a year older. And Trevor Lawrence is just a little bit more dynamic as a runner. Although Luck was a very good athlete too. But ironically, I, I do have similar concerns with Trevor Lawrence when it comes to running uh, and 
taking big hits like Andrew Luck took way too many and really precipitated his early retirement at the age of 29. So that would represent my top five at every position. And for this episode, wide receiver, running back, and quarterback. Super excited for the draft. Again, I'm, I'm leaving next week open, so I can't tease anything, although I, I may do a mock draft to have it in audio form right before round one, but we'll see what I ultimately end up doing on Tuesday night. I'm not totally sure yet, but we're only a week away Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the Prospect Podcast. I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you so much for listening.